So this is horrible. Uh, wow, Luke, whatever are you referring to? <laughs> All the things or just one or two? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. So, hi. It's another episode of Catching Foxes. Um, we were going to release this week part two of uh, an episode we recorded last week. But um, some pretty horrible stuff happened, and I think we need to talk about it. So uh, we have with us today our uh, bud, Kevin Hyder. Hi, Kevin. Hey. Uh, Kevin's from is from uh, is I'm from Dayton, Ohio. As am as am I. And if you are not aware, uh, you're probably one of the uh, one of our Australian listeners, but. Uh, on one oh, I think one oh seven a.m. Sunday morning, a guy went down to the Oregon district in Dayton and um, opened fire and uh, killed nine people, and he wounded twenty-seven others as of right now. Um, and uh, I thought that we should talk about this because. This has happened, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just. So my hope here is that we can just kind of come together, just have a. I, I don't know. I, I need to process this, and I are there are things that I want to say about this. I feel like we have a platform, and it would um, kind of be like a shame on us if we don't um, use our platform to talk about this. And I think it would. Just, I thought it'd be good to have just an outside person. Um, just, I thought it'd be good to, you know, like have a third party uh, guest here as and a person who has a good rapport with us and has ties to Dayton. So that's why we have Kevin here. Um, so yeah, um, I, I'm just curious, like, uh, like Kevin, when you heard about it, like, what were your thoughts? Um, so I actually, we were at a wedding in, we were at a wedding in Pittsburgh over the weekend, and. I saw the text when I woke up in our hotel room around 7 a.m., and it was actually from my mother-in-law, who was in Ireland. So they're six hours ahead over there, so she heard the news uh, way before, you know, we we would have. And um, just kind of texted us to make sure that we were okay. Uh, she, she had forgotten that we were in, uh, that we were out of the state for the weekend. So it was a... Uh, I don't know. It was one of those weird moments where I, it was early in the morning. I had to take the kids down to breakfast so my wife could sleep a little longer. And it's just like, I'm not in a position where I can immediately kind of start reading about everything and seeing what happened. Um, so I don't know. I, a part of me thinks that was kind of a blessing in that I, I wasn't, I wasn't able to kind of jump in right away and get lost in it. I just like knowing the simplest fact, you know, that there was a one of these things had happened uh, at home. Um, I was just kind of able to, I don't know, sit with it for a little bit. Uh, and then I don't know if you guys know Brian Larkin. Uh, do you remember him from Franciscan? Yeah, he's a monster. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, he was no. he was at this wedding uh, as well. He's a good well. dude. He's a good yeah. guy. Yeah. He was at this wedding as well, staying in our hotel, and uh, ran into him at breakfast with with his little boy, and and we talked about it briefly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know. I, you know, I, I see people post post things like uh, 
you know, I, I never thought this could happen. Never thought this could happen where I live. And to me, I, that kind of doesn't, that kind of doesn't make sense because it happens so much now, you know, every time Mm -hmm. it happens, how can you not wonder, you know, what if this happened where you live? And it's, it's almost to the point now that it, it just kind of seems like it's, it's only a matter of time because no practical steps, no practical steps um, have been taken at all to really do anything. Uh, you know what's crazy? About, I, I actually agree with you uh, about that. Uh, I don't know why I, I uh, why I sound like I am surprised, but um, so I was in the Oregon district the night before it happened, um, and I parked um, behind the bar, probably about like I, I parked in the parking lot just outside of the parking lot be, behind the bar. If that makes sense, so yeah, it was it was Ned probably, Peppers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it happened right outside of um, Lynette Peppers, but that's the most, that's like the most, that, you know, if, if you had to identify one spot of where it happened, you would say out, sure. like right outside of Umnet Peppers. So sure. to try to, uh, to try to, you know, paint this picture for everyone, the Oregon district is a historic part of Dayton, a lot of turn of the century buildings, uh, cobble streets, probably about maybe like what, like two blocks, really? Um, uh, yeah. On the southeastern end of downtown. Yeah, it's a it's a small strip. Yeah, it's really small, and it. Uh, I mean, I it's probably the closest thing Dayton's ever had to a red light dis, <laughs> district in the past. Like um, when we were in high school. I mean, I mean, there still are like two huge like porn shops there, which I wish were not there. Um, and but like it's mostly, and it's they. I think they're trying to like revitalize it, kind of become, you know, one of those like hip parts of town to go and live. And there are some um, neighborhoods around there. I never spent any time there really until like 12th grade. I think I had a friend whose aunt owned some store down there. So, and you know, it was, it was and it's just kind of like a mix of like, um, back when, uh, back when um, we were in high school, I'd say sketchy bars, weird hippie shops and a couple of restaurants and like a few porn shops. <laughs> and so yeah. would you, would you say that that's kind of right? Yeah, that yeah, that's I think I think it's all right. It's it's definitely been revitalized, you know, in the last decade yeah. or so. Um, so I think it's mostly bars, and then uh, but there's you know Omega Music is down there. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the few yep. remaining record stores in the area. Yeah, um, we, the- yep. Theology on Tap is held mm-hmm. right down there at the Oregon Express. So Express. yeah, 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 and and so where we parked our car, um, there were a couple cop cars. Uh, there and the crazy part about them, I mean, there's a lot of crazy thoughts that I have about this. Um, is I remember being like, I have, I, 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 I remember, um, I had this thought where I, um, where I thought, sorry, that sounds odd, uh, huh, it's really good that they have these like cop cars here in case like stuff happens. And I'm sure because it, because I do this all the time now. I have. I think about what would happen if there was a mass like we've had a mass like shooting here. I think when we go in the movies, go into certain crowded areas. Certainly, any sports game that I go to, it just is a thought that I think a lot of us have now. Where's where is the nearest exit? We've all had work seminars on this, um, you know. And when they said the police were able to, resp- so um, by the time the guy started to open up a fire on on everyone until. 
the time um, uh, till the time that he was killed was about a minute. Yeah. And I realized when I heard that that it's probably because those cops, it's like where I parked was where they hang out. And it's only maybe, I mean, not even 100 yards from where they're parked to where the shooting happened. Okay. And so I would imagine that they, I mean, they absolutely um, heard it and were able to, and they were able to get there and like, you know, and, you know, uh, put him down very, very quickly because they are so close. Right. And I saw that like, you know, not even like four or five nights ago now. Uh, and so, but the damage this guy was able to do in one minute right. was catastrophic. Yeah. And so I want to talk a, a little bit about, um, I don't know, I don't know if you guys are okay with this. If you want to do a, um, a local perspective at first and then go into like a broader um, national slash Christian um, conversation or kind of just do like oh, whatever and just like I'm going to see where it goes. I'm I'm down for whatever. Um, I, okay. I'm I'm honestly I don't know. I'm I'm open to also kind of critiquing arguments on each sides uh, on each side. If you guys are open to that, um, and also even mm-hmm. yeah, and also even you know if you're at the place now where you think something has to be done, you know, like what? people say that all the time. You know, whether it's whether it's talking about mental health reform whenever this stuff happens, like whatever the hell that phrase even means, you know, like. Uh, or or gun reform, like what what would that look like? And I'm not saying all this now to kind of like try and control the conversation, but you know, Luke, I I, I forget what shooting it was, maybe within the last year or two. But you guys talked about it a bit, and you and I were texting after I listened to the episode, and and you know, you said something like, "We want to do an episode where we talk about." gun control, whatever that means. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you said you seem passionate about this. Would you want to be on it? And I I think I said, no, (laughs) because, because, you know, I I feel like talking about that. Like I talk about this stuff with my wife all the time. I think about it all the time, but you know, as, as you guys know, once you process all this stuff externally and it's out there and it's public and it's open, um, people can use it kind of as a as a target on you to pro- make their own projections um, onto you and all that stuff. So anyway, I'm rambling at this point. Um, but do any of those suggestions sound interesting? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to think about any of this stuff. It is insane that in the United States of America, we are continually having mass shootings. And it is insane to me the equal, the reaction to it all. Like, and, and the thing that pisses me off is now everyone's like, oh, you can keep your thoughts and prayers to yourself. I want policy. And it's like, okay, but shit, can't we grieve? Can anyone grieve? Now, I, I 100% agree that we need something. Something has to give. I have a buddy that owns probably 30 guns. One of them is an AR-15 that I have shot myself. I'm not afraid of what his family is going to do with those guns because what they're going to do is they're going to end animals' lives on their ranch, right? There are countries that have access to guns, and they don't have any gun violence. And yet America, it's like it's a breeding ground here. 
it's a breeding ground here. And and when we talk about these mass shootings, that's one thing. But the thing that really bothers me is there is almost a one-to-one correlation between people who states where gun ownership is biggest and states where people kill themselves by suicide, right? With guns, right? And suicide with guns is a kind of a permanent thing. Suicide with pills might not be. And so, I mean, it is almost, there's certain differences. Um, in Nevada, for instance, there's l- way more suicide by by guns than there are gun ownership. But, like, Wyoming. Wyoming has the highest amount of guns, gun ownership by population. And they have the highest amount of suicides, right? Like, it's terrifying. You have all of these incidents, and they just keep growing. Like, El Paso, uh, like, did you have you guys been reading up about the shooter in? Well, so you have El Paso, which is explicit white supremacy. What do you guys the the shooter dude in Dayton? Like he's crazy. The I mean, Dayton, I, I haven't been able to. I'm a, I have I'm on a I'm on a work trip. I'm right now where I'm booked like for the entire day, so I haven't really been able to d- do a lot. And uh, stuff's been hitting the fan in terms of things in the archdiocese out in Cincinnati, which has also been very heavy on my heart. So, uh, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, from what I have heard of this guy and it's weird cause I have some personal connections to him indirect, but still, and like, and that's the crazy yeah, part. Same, same here. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I've heard, you know, some of the people that I, you know, Again, I, they haven't told me. They, you know, told people who I know who told me that they're like, "Oh yeah, we're not." It's not. I'm surprising at all that it was him, and it's it's disturbing. It's disturbing that someone that's you know a person could just be that dark, and then someone who could be that dark had access to that. I mean, he killed his sister and his sister's boyfriend. Was that the target? Uh, okay, so here's the sad thing about me. Like, I knew nothing about any of these things, El Paso or Dayton, until my pastor said something in a homily. Because I don't watch the news. And I I get on Twitter to write about uh, putting feet up on coffee tables. I'm not there to get the news, right? And uh, so I was like, what the heck is he talking about? And I, I didn't even know any of this stuff happened. And then, Luke, you started sending out messages that you were in that spot, what, nine hours earlier? No, uh, about probably probably about uh, twenty five to thirty hours. Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, probably thirty hours. Where earlier. did I get the nine hours from? What was that from? That's probably from um nine people who. Were oh, killed. okay, okay. So, but like, so just 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 to provide context in case anyone um doesn't know, I have a picture and I also have a video that I took of this cool. Uh, there was this great drumline playing on the sidewalk and from where i took the picture is probably about 10 yards from where the people were um uh, killed so i mean it is when i saw the overhead uh you know they would because they because they blocked off all the oregon districts in the morning and during the bulk of the day Whenever they would do an overhead uh, shot of the area, I could see like exactly where I was standing and like where all the bodies, like they could, you know, where they marked where the bodies were and stuff. So, it's here's one of the things that really scares me and why I think we have to enter into a very 
and I and I and I know that we say you know we all we have to now. Here's why. This is the third on one of these that has happened that I have somewhat of a personal connection to. Uh, Columbine, we all know people who were there. There was one out um, downtown, I like Cincinnati, last year that happened like in like about three blocks from where I worked. Aaron saw the Aaron saw the cop cars like you know, like all like storm in stuff from her office. And I used to go and eat lunch, um, like in the, like right off the lobby of where that I'm um, shooting happened. And then you have this one. Aaron went to high school with the person who was at the Las Vegas shooting. Um, it's going to if this doesn't stop, it's going to stop being that we all have multiple connections, and at some point in time, we're all going to know people who were either like hurt or killed. Because that's like in my mind, that's the only like the next logical, you know, like step is that if it keeps happening, there's just going to like be more, which is going to increase the likelihood that a person we know is going to be killed. Like it's it's just not it like it stopped. It's not random anymore. I mean, it is um, random in terms of like um, when it happens, where it happens, but it's not unique. If if like this was a unique thing that had happened, the like the president would be in Dayton right now or would be I'm leaving Dayton right now. Instead, he just talks about it and then he tweets about it because it's just another day. For all intents and purposes, I mean, it's not, it's not I'm just another day, but like, you know, this. And one day, you know, we had 29 people in the span of about 20, in about a span of 24 hours, 29 people were killed in a mass killing. Yeah, I, you know, not even... Um... So this was Friday, uh, on Friday the second. I think I I tweeted this a little bit ago, but I just you know was my wife was in the wedding party uh, for the wedding we were going to in Pittsburgh. So I'm just kind of trying to keep three little kids, age four and under, uh, mm-hmm. entertained <laughs> entertained the whole time, holed up in a hotel room, and I'm flipping through that little book of suggestions and advertisements that they have in the hotel room, and and we're in a very much a rural area. Uh, about an hour north of Pittsburgh. So there's really not much to do. But this page in this official hotel book, um, it says dining and entertainment. And under dining restaurants, it, it lists five restaurants that are non-franchise, like non-fast food. And under entertainment, it lists two things, a jewelry gallery and a gun shop. And I just kind of... <laughs> You know, took a picture of the page and and put it up on an Instagram story. Is you know this this is America where gun shops are entertainment, and every time one of these happens, I, I am honestly I'm I'm kind of I'm feeling I don't know. I, I, there was a sentence in a New York Times article I read that, that basically said that people are kind of going numb to it, and that's honestly how I, f- in terms of how I feel, like how I think about it objectively is very different, but in terms of how I feel, like I, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it, it's almost, as you said, like another day, like it's just kind of, it's starting to seem more matter of fact, oh, this happened here today. Um, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe this just sounds a little like cynical or, or world weary, I guess. But that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about it all right now. Well, I I was talking to a buddy about this last night, and he and um, he said what's really a weird about this is, you know, like with a lot of the evil that uh, exists in the world, we have like precedent for that. So. Uh, there was a mom. I don't. I don't remember where, but she was arrested for. She actually sold her daughter in uh, to um, human trafficking, and if into prostitution uh, specifically, and if and that's happened throughout um, history. It happened in Rome during the Renaissance, you know. And he was talking about it, like how the Jesuits had a house to try to like uh, like um, help those women. And he goes, if you look at, you know, so like, you know, like, here's a story to us um, right now that sounds awful, but that has happened throughout history. What hasn't happened are these um, random mass killings for no reason. And it just struck me, probably because I listened to a uh, hardcore history thing on the first, on the first world war for like the eighth time, but how it's almost kind of like this, you know, it's almost like the first world war where it was just the first time we really combined on a really mass scale the large like Napoleonic armies with machine warfare. And people didn't know what they were doing. And like the combination of those two um, things um, led to this like horrific thing. And I feel like it's almost kind of like that, where for some reason this keeps happening. Or like for some for some um, reason, there is uh, this darkness that consumes the people the white men who do this and because of the times it's like it like they're able to get i mean i'm not um i'm just saying that there's something about like this could only happen now is what i'm saying like you only really happen you you can only have a warfare we had in the in during 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 the first world war because you just combine these two, it was like this perfect storm of stuff of like these kinds of armies with this type of like tech, and you know, like I'm like no one knew, um, what we would get, and we got this horrific war that you know changed everything. And I wonder if there's a thing like that kind of going on where we have, you know, this type of like you know, killing power with this type of whatever drives these guys to do this. And when those two things are able to um, uh, to meet, you have stuff that has um, never happened before. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, so I actually just started re-listening to Blueprint for the Apocalypse uh, <laughs> about oh, really? two weeks. Yeah, two so weeks good. ago. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard it before. Heard it before. I know it's so good. Um, and a couple things that you know strike me just from the first two episodes are how shocked everybody was when they got in the field and and they saw close up what the weapons they were using were physically doing to the bodies of, of the people that they were shooting at um, and kind of the horror of that and how it affected them and how after that first month of carnage, they all had to completely rethink and readjust their strategies to take the effects of these weapons into account. Um, so that sticks out to me. What also sticks out to me is, I don't know if you remember this, um, uh, the Russian czar, when, when he called for the Hague conference and it was, 
it was in, in an effort to kind of stall scientific progress, almost like on, on the weapons that they were making, basically like whatever exists now, um, don't make anything that's more powerful than this, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> like that, that's what he was trying to do with this conference. Um, and Dan Carlin kind of talks about that as though it's, he understands how that could be considered like a noble effort. Um, mm-hmm. but he also sees it as like, um, increasingly futile, especially with how exponentially scientific progress advances now, uh, as compared to the, the early part of the 20th century. Does that, did that have any relevance to anything you just said? I think so. Uh, because there's this, um, I think we have to, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to come around to the idea that we might have to admit that this is a new problem. If this, if so, if you are able to uh, restrict, um, you know, like, um, with what we would call a um, rapid fire gun. So things like the, um, I, I don't, I don't know the terms for these guns, but like, like military, you know, style guns. I'm not convinced that all of a sudden we're going to have mass stabbings. Sure. I don't think yeah. you're going to solve the problem. I'm sure there could be other things that happen. I don't think it's going to solve. I don't think you're going to just say, and and then like everything was fine and people didn't act out again in horrific ways to try to um, damage a large group, you know? Um, Sure. But so yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just saying, but I, I, um, it's almost like if, if we're going to have a culture that has no God, that is, com- that is completely desperate, that ha- where people have – where their lives have no purpose and there's no hope, what else are you – like, you – like, what do you do then? Like, don't you have to put – like, don't you have to try to restrict on those certain things because it's going to go bad? That's Nietzsche's realization. He said, look, imagine that you live within a belief system. And then something arises to challenge the belief system. Not only does the belief system collapse, but something worse happens. Your belief in belief systems collapses. And that's the road to nine. Now, it doesn't have to, because you can jump from one belief system to another. But sometimes that doesn't work, is that you do a meta-critique and you say, oh, I was living in this protective structure, and it turned out to be flawed. Okay, one alternative is jump to another protective structure. Fine. Another alternative is protective structures themselves are not to be trusted. Bang, you're in chaos. How the hell are you going to get out of that? That's the pathway to nihilism. So I, I'm, I generally lean towards nonviolence anyways. And this is a, a number of years in trying to articulate this. Um, you know, when a violent crime is committed, there are two things really that you look at as far as the perpetrator is concerned. You know, you look at the motive and the means, and you have to consider them both. And, like, so potential motives or motivating factors could be anything from mental health issues, uh, bigotry, prejudice, racism, hatred, you know, in general, anger, vengeance, greed, jealousy, vanity, like, pick pick a deadly sin, whatever, morbid curiosity. 
you know, any of these things can be motivating factors. Um, but as far as the means is concerned, uh, you know, in a, in a mass shooting, the means is the thing doing the shooting. You know, if the intent to kill is one thing, but there's a means that you select to execute it. And I think, I don't think I would agree with you that, that what's happening with rampant mass shootings, I think it's only new in terms of the frequency which, which, with which this particular means being used is occurring. Um, you know, I, I saw somebody, uh, an American that lives over in, in uh, Europe now, you know, was, was posting about how the different types of attacks they have, whether people driving trucks into crowds and killing 80 people. That's true, yeah, that's um, bombing true. Train, bombing trains, stabbings on trains and all this stuff. And, and so this type of thing is common. But with this particular means, um, you know, being able to pick up something and to kill nine humans and injure 26 more in less than a minute, like, this is what is not only new, but very quickly becoming normalized. So one of the things that I kind of wanted to bring into this conversation is that our need to impose, like, as human beings, what was the line from that Brene Brown woman? Um, when we, when human beings lack data, we impose a story. And I think it's really true. Like, you could talk about it in a million different ways, but... We, we want our brains to come to a conclusion and to interpret these facts. So sometimes we want those narratives to kind of support our side of things or, um, you know, to point out something, even if it's not like a political, like I have an agenda here. But one of the things that, like Luke, you said that was kind of funny was, um, you know, like people aren't going to resort to mass stabbings. But in China, where guns are banned from normal people, that's what they have. But you can't get the rate that an extended mag, mm-hmm. you know, like all that stuff. And it, mm-hmm. like, I don't understand. Like, as a culture, I feel like so. I'm I'm a conservative guy. Like, I don't I don't understand why we can't say okay, there's something crazy going on in the United States right now, now in Canada, and in the UK, and in Norway, and where they're having these mass shootings. But the U.S. is clearly the world leader in them. We're we're doing something like crazy, or we're going through something crazy. And now it's not just white men. It used to be the mass shootings and mass killings were strictly white men, and now it's not anymore. Now it's branch like the Virginia Tech thing was a young Asian man um, in 2016. There was a guy I don't know if you remember this, but right when there was that whole cluster of African American men dying at the hands of police, there was a guy that killed like six or seven cops. Um, I can't remember where I think I can't remember, but, um, it might've been. Yeah. And, uh, you have this whole and there's more than just that, but you have this whole wave of lone gunmen going nuts or, or lone men going nuts. So you have the guy that drove into the crowd at the white, you know, the white supremacist dude, you know, you have this stuff and it's like. This is the part, like, I'm fine with gun control laws, but I am with increasing what we already have um, because something crazy is happening. And it's not just it's not just mental illness because we've had autistic people before, but we didn't have a Sandy Hook. 
we've had uh, you know uh, men who are disaffected by women, but we didn't have this stuff that is like off the chain crazy. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think of Japan in Tokyo where they have like is it like two million young adult men who just live entirely alone, um, and they get all their um, like meals sent to them and all this stuff. They don't, they can't. They're called like the the hidden generation or the lost generation where they don't even go outside anymore. They just play video games in their house, like all, and their parents like fund it because they don't know what to do with their kids anymore. Like this is, and I think there's like this knee jerk reaction to number one, blame men or blame white men um, to blame the gun itself. Now, obviously I think we're all in agreement. A a guy running in the crowd, stabbing people isn't going to get, nearly as many people as someone with an extended magazine. And I can't think of a single scenario other than sports shooting, which is fun. But if, if, if I love shooting guns and I love at my extended magazine so that I may shoot guns more enjoyably, I'm going to say, you know what? I love our sons more than our guns. So I'm going to give up the extended mag. Like that's a rational decision. To look yeah. around and be like, wow, right. damn, something is going wrong that we don't even freaking know. So I'm just going to say, like, all right, let's figure this shit out. You can take my AR-15 or, you know what. And to, I'm listen, Kevin, I, I, I don't know 100%, but I think you have some pretty strong libertarian libertarian roots in your background. <laughs> At least you're anti-war that's stuff. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Um I definitely went through a strong libertarian. <laughs> Are you post libertarian like me? Are you post libertarian yes. like me? Yeah, I, I smile. I smile pretty wide every time <laughs> you're talking about. I it. I remember one of yeah. your songs that yeah, you it's... wrote that I put in the episode with you and Luke. I was like, <laughs> man, this is straight Tom Woods. <laughs> and then what? What? That's that's. What? <laughs> no, that's hilarious because somebody commented under that lyric video on youtube like you sound like a catholic anti-war libertarian in the vein of thomas yeah. woods yeah and that's what i was thinking <laughs> which, which i would have been <laughs> I like ron paul yeah, which i would have been for yeah. a time um i i have maintained for many years now i'm a political atheist um i'm i, I, I was not, in the library I and i was buying a book or uh barnes and noble and i was buying a book and this guy uh he was like so we were both in the political section he goes what are you looking for and i said and he goes <laughs> Ah, oh, so you're uh, you're libertarian, huh? And I go, ah, I th- I think I I think I am. I, you know, I'm struggling with all this <laughs> stuff. I feel like everyone else is trying to make sense of the world. He goes, yeah, I think I'm a post-libertarian, and I could not have rolled my yeah. eyes any harder. And now I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm totally a post-libertarian. I'm a deconstructed libertarian. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, deconstructed. <laughs> but but going back to it, right? So we immediately like the the libertarian narrative of you know you'll take my gun out of my cold dead hands. Uh, I th- you know, which is famous quote. I, I, I mean, here's the deal. What the hell is happening in our country? I, like, so a, fr- yeah. a, a, a guy I know, I won't call him a friend of mine. A guy I know wrote this Facebook post where he talked about, he introduced the El Paso shooting. This guy is, is Mexican, right? Introduces the El Paso shooting, references the Dayton shooting, and then says, and the, the photo is him with his concealed carry. He says, if I'm standing next to you, you are going to thank me because I'm carrying my gun in your grocery store at church. You know, I carry it everywhere and I don't care. And he says, I'm not going to be one of those blubbering victims. And I was like, buddy, okay, you started to make a case and then you 
attacked the victims of the shooting. I'm not going to be some blubbering victim with a bullet hole holding holding my dead son in my arms, cons- you know, shielding my daughter. I'm going to be <sighs> the one who intervenes. And it's like, uh, we just killed, like, a bunch of people just died. Can we not yeah. just take a deep breath about this stuff? So my whole thing is, okay, so enough rant. My whole thing is, like, I don't even think we've begun to understand what this is doing. It's not just white supremacy, although clearly it was for the El Paso dude. Mm-hmm. Um, disaffected white people is, you know, middle class, white people, whatever. That is a, that's what got Trump elected, okay? That's a real deal. Things like that are happening where people feel like, you know, white men, maybe. I don't, like, as a white man, I do feel like sometimes it's not about equality. It's about attacking me like I'm a bully and I'm the reason why other people... Like, there's, so there's this element of, like, come on, shut the hell up. Like, I did nothing to you. Grow up. But there, there's this animosity. People who are unstable and who are alone, maybe. I mean, the Dayton guy was a, he was a porno grind musician where he talked about... He was in a band called Menstrual Munchies. Oh. That was the name of the band. And he was wearing a shirt uh, for a band that was also in this porno grind scene, which is, like, hardcore death metal scenes of extreme gore and all this stuff and the lead singer of this other band he was wearing a shirt he's like it makes me so sick people who represent our music should you know should know first and foremost we don't condone violence and it's like literally every song is about eating dead people you wrote a song glorifying uh the a satanist rapist and walmart sells your t-shirts where it says i love to kill people i love to kill them dead or something like that like we live in a really crazy ass culture what is happening right now homicides are at an all-time low in america and yet mass shootings are at an all-time high that's what i don't understand i I can remember back uh i think maybe tail end of college or right afterwards i started to read uh saint uh uh the uh the homies of saint john vianney he's the patron i'm the patron saint of priest i believe right yeah and he has this homily where he he basically is telling the kids out in this one like on the out in this one um on a village out in France where he says it's not a sin to dance, but for all of you it is because of the way that uh, you dance. Like the way you dance is causing you uh to fornicate, you know, and to commit all of these all of these uh, horrible sins. So you guys like for like you guys can't dance because it's a sin for you. You can't handle this, uh. and it kind of reminds me of that. You know that we can. You know it's just uh, of this idea that um, do I think it is wrong to have guns? My gut answer is no. I don't. I, I especially like skeet shooting and other things. Like I think you know I understand. I have shotguns with like a lot of our friends. I've really enjoyed that. I've honestly thought about picking up skeet shooting because I, you know, I love it as a hobby. But I think we're at a time right now where we can say our culture can't handle guns like this. We simply can't. And I know it's not Wyoming's fault. They haven't had it happen there. But if. You know, if it means that people like Wyoming can go without their, uh, you know, um, if they can go without their, uh, you know, um, without their uh, military grade uh, assault rifles and we, you know, have less of these, wouldn't it be worth it? 
Yeah. I okay. So I, I'm with you there. Um, the only thing I would say, if I was not me, <laughs> I I would have the very last thing you said would have made me completely disregard everything you said prior in that you called them assault rifles. That's like a big thing now. If you call it an assault rifle, it means you don't know what you're talking about. And therefore, nothing that you're saying in this conversation. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm just saying like this is this is the kind of stuff that uh, this is the this is the kind of stuff I've heard. What are you talking Um, about? What's not an assault rifle? Oh, that like an AR-15. Uh, that that a semi-automatic. Um, oh. Well, I know like AR. A lot of people think AR stands for assault rifle, but it doesn't. But right, yeah. I mean, I've shot. I love shooting. Gu- it's fun as hell. I I killed a turtle that was eating uh, baby fish so that the baby fish couldn't grow in this one pond, and uh, and I remember shooting a turtle at like a thousand paces with an <laughs> AR fifteen, and it was the funnest experience. Right. Shooting things is fun. Shooting guns is fun. But you know what? Like not having these stories is a lot more fun. And that's what I'd rather have. But I don't think, but here's the deal. Like it's not just a one, two thing, right? Like decrease the amount of guns. You will decrease the amount of violent suicide deaths, right? Like we, we can statistically kind of see those numbers bear out. Um, but at the same time, it's like, but we won't necessarily... I mean, because you can just get a shotgun. Like, I think hunting rifles should never be banned. I, you know, I think many sport rifles mm-hmm. and handguns for personal protection, I don't think those should be banned. But if... Okay, yeah. so... Yeah. I mean, no, but I like... Sorry. The, you know, the bump stocks, the high-capacity magazines, um, the things that can blow a barn door out the side of someone's head. Like, that shit needs to... Like, it, it doesn't hurt my post-libertarian sensibilities to say... This is what the whole reason why I brought the libertarianism thing was like they're so quick to go Second Amendment, and then they say things like, "If the government," Ben Shapiro still says this all the time, "If the government were to come after me, right, I want to be able to defend myself." And it's like, you think you're gonna defend yourself from the U.S. military with a single <laughs> a like they have howitzers? From, yeah. I'm like, I mean, come on, <laughs> they have artillery. You're done. This settle yeah, down. They Patrick can kill you Swayze. from like miles away. They like they yeah <laughs> they have the um, ability to like detect people by their um, heartbeat patterns and then like sh- like kill them based on that like from that far away like a gun can detect oh this like heartbeat is like uh, is the kind of heartbeat that like um this person has that's him let's kill him like there's no way that like Ben Shapiro with his little handgun. Right. You know, right. And I'm, I, I, yeah, the, and I think you should be able to have a handgun. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, but that that's what I'm, I'm like trying to limit the scope of what do I mean when like I say, you know, we should take guns or, you know, what guns should we take? Like, I'm not in favor of taking all guns. I don't think that's a thing that we should do. And I do know that when Obama, I mean, even hinted at it, AR-15s were sold out. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. no one has done more for the gun industry more than. Fear and Obama's rhetoric, you know, quote unquote, um, because they sold out of every single gun that that company makes. And so you're just like, whoa. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I'm just saying, like, listen, the the Dayton shooter. Let's get back to that guy. Right. He's a crazy person, but he killed his sister. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, was that the whole motive for his violence? I mean, like, he's dead. He was killed by the police. Was that? 
was he going to take her out and then everyone around her? Was that the? I don't know. Yeah, I yeah I so I honestly have I have not read that much about him. Um, the the last thing I watched was earlier today when our mayor and the police chief and a handful of other people kind of gave a a press conference at our convention center. And honestly, the the police chief um, didn't really give any information. You know, like he 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 didn't say anything about him. He said we do we don't know what the motive yet, uh, what the motive is yet. Um, we and somebody asked specifically if it if it had anything to do with racism, white supremacy, and and he said it does not appear to be at the time. We can't rule it out but there's no evidence at this time that says no he that was, was he was a and hardcore so, leftist he hated trump um he was uh pro-socialist oh man um guy so he was not a disaffected white republican okay. he was a white guy the, right. there's a image of him playing his in his band um wearing women's clothing him and his bandmates uh but he describes himself as a leftist so yeah. Huh. Now, obviously, the dude in El Paso, he had that 8chan for, uh, memo, apparently. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, uh, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I like, I'm fine I, with people, like, I think freaking Trump's rhetoric is crazy. When you call, when you consistently call, impoverished mexicans invaders and you know they're gonna take your jobs and all this stuff now obviously they are taking a lot of jobs if they're employed but that's not necessarily jobs that everyone it's not like he's taking my job right so the idea is disaffected unskilled uneducated labor is the most threatened and they're also the ones who most threatened by immigrant labor cheap immigrant labor and they're also the ones who you know are easily well and um, i'm like this is the exact reason why i thought it was bad to vote for him yeah. like even if you wanted to say all of your pro like this is this is why is that th- the office of the president is the most powerful office in other in other world and it's not because of the military stuff that um, you can do because in reality that should be Congress who authorizes you to be able to do <laughs> shut up go and Luke do that. shut up anywho but, libertarian but shut up Luke <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore I know <laughs> thanks a lot 20th century America um, it's that everything's Woodrow Wilson's fault uh, yep uh, no I'm sorry just kidding <laughs> kind of not not really <laughs> if you listen to um, Tom Woods it's Abraham Lincoln go on. Yes. <laughs> um, no, but uh, he did do total warfare, though. Okay, so I'm sorry. Anyways, but it's like your words have such power. Yeah. They, you know, quite literally have the power to, you know, move mountains. And when he uses that kind of, like, rhetoric, you – now. I don't think Donald Trump wants uh, wants a most violent things to happen to people, but I've been on a presume the good kick. <laughs> um, but what when the president of the United States says stuff like that, it it is dangerous. It's dangerous. I thought the same way when 
um, how Obama would talk about like like you know like like um, certain like religious things. I thought were a bit. I, I can't um, remember specifics, but there were um, like some of the stuff that like he said. I was like, dude, you can't. You're the president. You shouldn't like when you put stuff like that. It has consequences. Yeah, well, like a perfect example of this is how George W. Bush would bend over backwards um, during the wars, the multiple wars that he launched, um, saying not all Muslims, Muslim extremists. He would always couch everything within this language because he knew that when you are at a wartime, the passions are extraordinarily high. You see an enemy everywhere. And so he directly tempered his language repeatedly, repeatedly to remove some of that that element right and so he would say all the time uh he would always use the phrase muslim extremists or islamic extremists not muslim you know and he would say that all the time so when you have someone who uh let's just say is not careful about the inflamed rhetoric that he uses you are going to empower and embolden certain people now i'm not saying he's responsible in a direct way but like I, i'm not a true i'm not one of those yeah well, well, look, they, I mean, Bush and Obama had filters. Yeah, right. And that's not, and that's not a dig at Trump. I mean, that's, that's like, that's why a lot of people liked him. Yeah. Because he's unfiltered. He's a straight shooter. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, no I was saying, I'm but... sorry. <laughs> it's, it's my show, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're doing. That's why I'm sorry. <laughs> So we were like at a bar, and apparently I just apologize all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. So uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Girls, you stop and apologizing. Kevin. That's a book you should read. It's now available at Target <laughs> from the same woman that wrote "Girl, wash your face." Girl, stop apologizing. But I do think you have to tell Trump, like you have to say. I, I, I do think you have to tell him there's a very real chance that the things that you have talked about have ins- inspired the El Paso guy to do what he did. And if you didn't say that stuff, and if you, that this would have um, never have happened. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example like, that I think connects. So if there was this priest in the 90s that wrote or would give talks called Justifiable Homicide, I can't remember all the details, but he was super active in these pro-life communities. And his whole thing was like, if you kill an abortion doctor, it is homicide and you will go to jail for it. But you know what? It's, it's justified because they're killing babies. And there were people who attacked. I don't know if they killed, but like, and so when, if, if someone listens to that and they're already unhinged, they're looking for permission. And if all the good and respectable people are telling them, no, that's psycho. Why would you do that? But then that goes away <laughs> like the the W kind of thing goes away. And then you have, yeah, wh- what should we do for these Mexican invaders? And someone yells out, shoot him. And he starts laughing like that's dangerous. That's what we call inflammatory rhetoric. It's not that he is directly causing or intending. And I'm not I'm not saying that at all. Like, I'm not saying that Trump caused this. And I don't believe that. But what I am saying is it amplifies a dangerous situation. And that's where you need de-escalating rhetoric. I think you can get very close to saying that, like, 
Like, okay, so I don't think you can, you know, put Trump on trial for that, obviously, or, you know, but I think that it is a dangerously straight line from the words that came out of his mouth to what that guy did. And the thing is, like, I am all in favor of free speech and all that good stuff. But if you're the president, your words have weight that filters are demanded, right? So uh, Elon Musk, here's just a, you know, whatever example. Elon Musk um, had his weirdo interview with Joe Rogan. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Where they, like, smoked weed together. And then the next day yeah, tweeted, yeah, yeah. Uh, great news, um, the SEC approved me buying back shares of my company to turn it back into uh, a privately held company. It's just $420 a share. And he was trying to be cute with the whole 420 thing, I think, was the the idea behind it. But then he got busted, and he got removed from being the CEO of his company because he did that. Because he literally lied about the SEC statements, and it caused his price to fluctuate for the, the stock. And well, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, that's cool. like, okay, you're, quit being a man-child. Like, your words carry undue weight, and you can literally, someone like him could go to jail or face you know penalties like he did um, for even just saying them because of the weight that they possess. Yeah. Okay. So this is, <laughs> yeah, I, I see this fair, like, as an fair. opportunity to kind of pivot away from the president, <laughs> which is, which is one of my favorite things to do. Um, the, yeah, you know, you mentioned, I guess you preface that story by saying, you know, I'm all in favor of free speech. Um, and I am as well, but there are, there are restrictions on free speech and you've already noticed, sorry, you've already noted uh, a couple of them. One of them would yeah. be, uh, Elon Musk lying, even if he was joking, it wasn't necessarily obvious to people that he was joking, and that caused the stock to soar. Um, that, in that instance, is illegal. Um, making offensive remarks or you know insults, whatever that kind of leads to violence or that incites violence, um, that is is a criminal offense. Yelling fire in a burning theater. Like there are all these cases in a crowded theater uh, throughout. I would hope you would yell by uh, fire in a, in a burning theater. Yeah. Because if it's on, <laughs> if it's on fire, I want to know. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> fire is a great <laughs> economic outlook. Yeah, everyone just want to be clear. <laughs> Let's talk about fire. Let's get off the sad stuff. Right. But you, but you know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I meant? Like yelling fire in a crowded theater that is not burning is illegal. Yeah, inciting um, panic w- that causes bodily harm or death is illegal. Right, right. Obscenity, lies, uh, slander, libel. Like, there are these restrictions on free speech. And we don't necessarily think about them when we say, I am in favor of free speech. We just know that they are there. That free speech is a picture on a wall, and the picture has a frame, the picture has a border, yeah. and that indicates a limit to the to the canvas. And so, as far as the Second Amendment is concerned, as saying, um, I am in favor of the Second Amendment. You know, I, I'd like to pose the question: um, What what limits do you think would be acceptable? palatable, whatever, um, in light of 
everything that's happened in the last decade and the increasing number of mass shootings, um, how would you like to apply this same principle of, of obviously not abolishing it, but taking our current context into consideration when applying it? Yeah, I think, I think the first level is you say, well, what, what should be allowed no matter what? I think hunting and uh, all those that are, you know, hunting rifles and experts can delineate those things better than I can. But um, things that are not required for the hunting of wild animals like high-capacity magazines, bump stocks that cause you to be able to output six times the amount of bullets even while technically being semi-automatic. I don't think anyone needs a machine gun. Um you know, those things. I, I just think those are like, you know, and, and then uh, handguns for personal protection. I don't I don't think if you start there, I think you cover 90% of use cases, small caliber handguns, um, you know, small to medium caliber rifles, and you're good. There are different types of guns that maybe you would need to get if you're a, a, a huntsman who needs something else uh, more powerful. You want to take out a couple elephants and use their ivory to make a piano. Hey, that's up to you. It's between you and your creator. But uh, if you need to get an additional, you know, license for something a bit more oomph, well, good. Get an additional license. You got to go through the background checks. They're even more layered, right? I mean, I, I think it's weird that we have a thing that can end people's lives and we have less restrictions around it than we do uh, driving a car. And it's built to end lives. Cars aren't. Cars are built to move people. They can end lives, which is why... We make people get a license, and we have trillions of laws of the road, right? So, right, and every vehicle has a every vehicle has a VIN number. It's supposed to be registered. You, your license to drive can be taken away. Um, yeah, there are all these restrictions on it. So, in, in the UK, they actually right. cannot have handguns. Right, and they still have mass shootings. Nah, but like uh, it's been a while. A lot of theirs are more terrorist oriented, so they they have like a specific a political aim where, as opposed to the lone gunman lines. narrative. Yeah. Well, so these are I I pulled these numbers up earlier. Um, the uh, and, and this is for 2015, and and I kind of kept it local. So this is just like a comparison of Ohio. Uh, the state of Ohio and the UK, um, and I only went with 2015 because that was the the most recent year I could find that had both stats. Um, but in terms of the populations of the states, um, in 2015, Ohio had 11.6 million people, and the UK had 65 million. So about six times as many people in the UK as in the state of Ohio. Uh, the state of Ohio had firearm deaths uh, in 2015. Hold on, this is 2017. I'm ruining this. You are. Ugh. I'm so sorry. Yeah, firearm deaths, is that distinguished from suicides? Because Ohio is no, pretty big. No, 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 no. It's, it's firearm deaths as a whole. Okay. Um, so for 11.6 million people, it was just under 1,400 firearm deaths. Now, compare that with the U.K., which has six times as many people 
the number of gun deaths in 2015 were 126. Mm. So obviously there's a cultural element. There's a mental element. But I think to discount what they do differently in terms of the restrictions that they put on their guns, like to take that out of the equation and say that it has no effect on that that policy you know, would have no effect here in the long run, I think does a complete disservice uh, to the discourse and to future generations. Yeah. Mm. But kind of like to the point that both of you guys kind of made independently earlier about, uh, you know, you've shot guns before and it was fun, but you don't need to do it. You know, you'd gladly give that up if it meant that, this type of thing wouldn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's, that's where I've been personally for years. And anytime I hear the rhetoric or the argument that, you know, once you give a little bit, they're just going to take more. And then the government's going to come take your guns. It's like, look, if, if, if you want to be afraid that that's going to happen, then that's fine. That is not a fear of mine. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to, you know, sacrifice that fear of yours uh, for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to let you be yeah, afraid. I'm willing to let you be afraid. So just if, if for no other reason than to teach you that there's really nothing to be afraid of. Or... Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I struggle with all of this stuff. That's why it's discussion over instruction. But something's got to give. Something's got to give this. We can't keep hearing the same damn thing over and over again. And you know, there was the, when the Trump when the when the Vegas shooting I think happened. That's when the whole bump stock thing yeah. was going. And Trump said, "Give me that legislation, I'll sign it." Uh, and and I remember during the Clinton years, there was all the stuff about gun violence um, and gun restrictions, and that's when the NRA really became a super powerhouse that it is today. And I remember Clinton like they would give him all sorts of concessions. And he still refused because it wasn't, you know, the perfect legislation. And so you got none of the concessions about, like, you know, trigger locks being mandatory and all that stuff and longer wait periods. And because I don't know if you know this, but they have the whole, like, you can, uh, the gun show thing, right? Like, you can go to a gun show. I was just about to ask that. Like, are those still legal? And it's state by state. So there's no, like, Kevin, federal thing. Yeah, it is state by state, but that's also a way that um, a lot of people can go to one in a different state, and that's the way they can sometimes get around the background checks. Yeah. 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 Bill Goodman's Gun and Knife Show. <laughs> that is a, a local reference. Yeah. yeah. I, Grab my buddy, <laughs> bring a friend. Remember how everyone I used to say, uh, stab a buddy, shoot a friend? <laughs> You ever hear that Ooh, in like high you, school or something? <laughs> so this is a local Bill jingle Goodman's, that would go on for yeah. So it was a gun show. There was uh, this gun. There's gun trade show that would uh, happen in Southwest oh uh, Southwest Ohio, and the commercial would go: Bill Goodman's gun and knife show. Grab a buddy, bring a friend. And so. Uh, we used to change it to Bill Goodman's gun and knife show, stab a buddy, shoot a friend, which is now horrible because of everything that is going on. But Yeah, thanks, Luke. It was a little off color. 
pre pre ninety nine. It was yeah. it was very innocent. Right. You got yeah. So I mean, honestly, my my case, like I I don't know what is going on in America. Disaffected white people. I don't think it's just that. I or white men. I should say. I don't think it's just that, but I think that's a part of it. I do. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that that's huge. Oh, for sure. I would love to see a report. I just like a really and perhaps there already is one and I just don't know about it. Like a really in-depth bipartisan report, you, you know, like um let's really try to understand what's going on. You know, let's bring in psychologists and um let's get the NRA involved and let's get you know, gun control, big time, big time, like lobbyists involved. Like, you know, like, let's get everyone involved. All everyone should have a seat at this table. An actual national dialogue, if you will, it's going to have a practical consequence. Um, bring everyone together to um, come up with some sort of report. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not saying people even have to agree. It's just at least interview them. Yeah, let's something something. Like well, that yeah, something tangible. I mean, that's that's the thing, though. Honestly, about any legislation is that not everybody has to agree on it. It just has to pass. I mean, when when Australia uh, had the Port Arthur shooting, it was like thirty. I think it was thirty six people or something like that. Um, their government jumped into action, and they had a huge buyback program. Um, they outlawed, banned a lot, of, a lot of different types of guns, um, and their politicians that all did that. You know, they got so much hate, and none of them—I not none of them, but most of them—were not reelected. And they kind of knew that when they were doing it. You know, like the, the people are. Uh, this might cost us our careers in politics, but. They did it anyway because they were they were willing to risk that um, for the for the safety that they thought would would come from the policy. For me, well, one big thing in the upcoming um, elections in what uh, twenty twenty, I am not going to if you know I'm not saying that I'm going to uh, big a single issue guy, but this is an issue now that is just if I don't if you don't if you if your stated gun policy is a thing that I, I, it just, if I can't get behind that, I'm not going to vote for you. And if I can't get behind any of them, then I just won't abstain from voting for that. I, I just, I'm not a point now where I'm like, I, it is a major issue for me in terms of who will be getting my vote. It's right up there with um, abortion, LA euthanasia and uh, different things like that. Would, would you say in line with that? I mean, let's say that the, the general stance of most people is, uh, or most candidates would be, uh, universal background checks. Um, is that, you know, for both, just kind of posing this question to both of you, is that, um, obviously it's a, it's a fine first step. Do you think that's enough? Or, I mean, I guess what are some other practical things that could happen? I mean, cause Gomer, you know, you, yeah. you mentioned kind of registering guns, like cars, like automobiles, and kind of having them function that way. Um, and I know that's that's how they do it in the UK and in in Japan. You know, your license is good for so many years, and then you have to renew it um, after that in order to to keep what you got. Let's assume that at least most candidates would be in favor 
of universal background checks. And that's a fine first step. And I think most people at this point would agree with that. Um, do you think that's enough? Is there something else that you would like to see? Um, and, and I guess I use as an example of that, you know, Gomer mentioning that having kind of guns registered and licenses for them kind of the same way that we handle automobiles. You know, it might not be a perfect analogy, but it's yeah. it's something. And it's something that comes with a certain level of accountability. Um, oh, oh I, and I and I added that like that's they kind of have something like that in the UK and in Japan, mm-hmm. um, where you know you your license to to own this weapon exists is good for you know two to three years, and you you, you have but you have to renew it. You have to kind of stay up to date on everything because the reality is like not not all of these people were born crazy they weren't necessarily born white supremacists or even into white supremacist families they weren't necessarily born with mental health issues it's it's these things can develop over time um but anyway yeah that's that's the question so i I think I um if that were the bare min if that were the only thing I don't think I would be a hundred percent comfortable now I definitely think it should be a thing I think probably one of my uh, criteria would be some type of gun control policy that um, wants to eliminate um, anything like I don't think people who aren't in the military should should own guns that are, you know, more for like military use. So guns that have a lot of, um, like fast, uh, fast and high, like, um, you know, firepower. I, again, I don't, I know these terms very well, but those, those um, magazines that you have talking about, I'm um, where it's just like, you're able to, you know, you can get off like hundreds of rounds in under a minute. Um, I, I don't see even with a wild boar pig, if why we you would you know like stuff that's built for war i don't like specifically just for war i don't think should be in the hands of um of civilians uh, right now i think with our current um culture i think it's too dangerous and it needs to be outlawed so that's what i would want to see yeah one thing that people need to remember is in after world war one and world war two and probably even korea and probably lesser after Vietnam, but when the men came home from war, many of them kept their weapons. And there were people that owned fully automatic machine guns because that's what they used over over there, right? And uh, we didn't have these mass... We have more homicides, but we didn't have these mass shootings like we do. So it's even funny that thinking about this stuff, like even that is... It's not a quick fix. None of these are quick fixes. I just want to make it harder for people who want to do the maximum amount of damage, right? So the Las Vegas shooter, he had tons of guns, remember, in the, in the hotel room? Mm-hmm. So even if he didn't have high-capacity rounds or high-capacity magazines or whatever, he owned tons of guns, right, that he was ready to, okay, next gun, next gun, that simulated. So the rate of fire, I mean, if you can shoot, six bullets in 10 seconds what if you can shoot 60 bullets in 10 seconds the element of lethality skyrockets 
right? And that's what I'm talking about in terms of, okay, well, let's just rationally look at this and say this is unsafe. It's an unsafe thing. So why not? Let's just leave. Uh, the NRA should be leading the ban on this stuff. If they truly care yeah. about individuals I protecting agree. their right to carry firearms, they should be like, yeah, you're right. We have a lot of mental health issues. Every person who buys a gun should get a free, you know, trigger lock guard. And, you know, it's not just about not having, you know, keeping your gun safe. It's about even when someone grabs the gun, uh, you know, because um, the kid from Sandy Hook took his mother's weapon. It wasn't his. She didn't have mental illness, if I remember the story correctly. But the, if you have a trigger lock, you know, you physically have a lock that the key is separate from the safe. He gets the gun, gets it, loads it, you know, all of a sudden he's able to bring bring a lot of pain. Um, that That's what I'm talking about. There has to be some way that bipartisan support would say, oh, my goodness, we need to start making some policy headway right here. And that, I think that's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Yeah. I, so I, I agree with you. Like, I think we are all on the same page. Um, that's nice. The, <laughs> or at least <laughs> that's odd for a good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but this, but this is where, this is where it gets, you know, a little, I don't just, I, I suppose in, in considering, um, people who kind of do come from our world, but aren't necessarily, and they would agree with us on matters of faith and morals and whatnot. But when it comes to the political arena, their views would be perhaps different, right? Um, like, do you think grenades should be allowed? No. No. Right. Do you think, what about flamethrowers? No. Oh, but we have a right to bear arms, right? No one thinks that. No one thinks I have a right to a Molotov cocktail. But if I want to make a Molotov and Unless the revolution people, occurs. Um, yeah, exactly. But if uh, the resistance by Skillet will be playing, um, <laughs> if I want to do that, I can I can make one and I can do a lot of damage to people. So it's not like we're curing the need, the, the violence within people. We're not going to cure it. It's not going to go away. And whatever this is that Americans are dealing with. And, I, you know, to be honest with you, uh, granted, every hammer, uh, if, you know, if you have a hammer, you see every problem as a nail. I think the problem is a lack of honest community. Uh, there is no social structure now that young men can plug into that connects them to identity and purpose and meaning. And you're shamed if you're a white man, especially you're ridiculed that you're the problem. And you're like, what how am I the problem? I make minimum wage or whatever it is, right? These disaffected young men who are act doing acts of violence or at least, participating in consuming media that's violent and you know i was uh struck so there's um anyone who knows me they know that i love the band five iron frenzy nope and i was struck by um this one song that they wrote that i started to listen to um the day of like all the shootings out it's all of sorry the day of the shooting out in on the Dayton. There's a song called "A New Hope," uh, and the guitarist of the band uh, he had a sister that was at Columbine. They used to practice at at his house, and they um, wrote it kind of in in response to that. And my internet's being slow here, so I can't sound pull good. this up. I'm trying to f no. find. Huh? I said you still sound good. You do. Oh, okay, good. 
Um, <laughs> uh, and I was struck by the, by the lyrics to the bridge um, in the song, but I want to pull this up real quick. Let me give a second. Um, I will read it to you guys. I think this is really important because I think um, I found it very encouraging when I when I um, I heard it. Like, in fact, I put the song. It's actually not even one of my one of my more favorite songs of theirs. Uh, but although I do uh, like it, but it, uh, I probably almost do it like four or five times, just you know, kind of trying to come to terms with it. Peace fills us by hope we steer, our dark hearts salvaged, we live without fear. Yeah, and I'll repeat that one more time. Peace fills us by hope we steer, our dark hearts salvaged, we live without fear. Like what happened in Dayton was really, really dark. Is humanity at its worst? It's all of our worst fears. It's um, awful. It's very easy to choose despair, but I, I really do believe that the despair that exists within our culture, the despair that we have because life has no meaning, is the very thing that like causes this stuff to happen, or it's a really big reason as to as to why it's or it's the. It's the key ingredient, if you will. And I really, we desperately need hope. You can't fake hope. And I really love that part of the song because, like, it talks about how, you know, I I really like that he says our dark hearts, our dark hearts salvage. Like, our dark hearts, like we're all capable of really profound darkness. We're all capable of doing horrible stuff, but like, you know, with hope that can be like, we can have peace and we, you know, in, and because of the peace of Christ, because of the peace that Christ offers us, the peace that he wants to, you know, that he wants to give to each of us, we can quite literally live without fear. And I saw that when, I saw my sister's Instagram post when everyone were they were all in the Oregon district. Um, I had to I would have been there, but I had to drive out here to, out to out to Indianapolis. Uh, you know, just everyone they all filled the streets of the Oregon district and did a prayer vigil there. And people were out eating. I saw that the mayor had a lunch at a restaurant out there, and people like you know choosing hope. And I think. Um, that's what I'm clinging to right now with all of this is uh, is hope, hope that good's going to come out of this, hope that like 
this can get better, that God is going to, uh, it is that if we cooperate with him, you know, if we combine the corporal and the spiritual uh, works of mercy uh, with all of this, uh, God is going to move. Okay, let me throw out something. Like, th- this was from um, a guy. He calls himself an ex-GOP guy. He's the guy that wrote the book, uh, Tom Nichols. He wrote the book, um, The Death of Expertise. I don't know if you've heard of that. He's an expert on Russia and some other stuff. But he wrote um, something that I felt was very important for us, I think. He's like, um, so yes, by all means, make it harder to up the body count. Get Congress back in session and pass those bills just on sheer principle because no one needs a gazillion bullet clip in a military-style weapon. Fine, stipulated, I'm with you on that. But until we have a discussion about why a particular subset of young men have become walking time bombs, we're just treading water until the next shooting or until the next McVeigh-type bombing or Elliot Roger plows his car into a crowd. Lots of countries have guns. Even more countries have insanely higher rates of gun and non-gun violence and murder. But the freak walks into a bar or dorm and wipes everyone out is a particularly North American and European experience. And so uh, his whole point with this is, like, I mean, yeah, Luke, I, I hope that we have hope, but the because of the political rhetoric surrounding this, it is preventing people from getting to the reason why these things are there. He says, I'm not a sociologist I'm a social scientist who knows the difference between dependent and independent variables, and this whole debate is so screwed up in every direction that it's no surprise we get nowhere. So yes, ban the weapons, pass the laws, but if we're not having a a debate and a long, hard look at our culture for why nearly 40 years it's producing this particular kind of misfit, then I'm not sure it's going to matter much. And that's where I'm hung up. You you end with a, a song about hope and stuff, and I keep looking at how people think they're coming closer to conclusions by blaming white men or just white supremacy or racism or anti-immigrants, which is obviously a part, especially of the El Paso one, but that's not a narrative that fits Dayton. And so you begin to step back and you're like, yeah, but why is all of this happening? And my fear is the knee-jerk will pat ourselves on the back and I think this is probably, you know, people say, oh, you're going to take our guns away. It could escalate. But Russia, like Soviet Russia, which was a totalitarian, totalitarian police state, had gun violence. And they had the most absolute kind of police force. And so you sit there and you say, there is some sort of evil that is infecting our society that we don't, that we don't even know its origin. And so my fear is relying on a panacea or relying on policies is just a panacea. It's just going to, it's a placebo effect and it's not really going to change things. I don't know. Yeah. I I think the two have to be taken in tandem. Um, And that's why, um, what is it? This was, I heard this thing on NPR a couple months ago on a late night drive home and it was, uh, I don't remember the guys. Adam Grant, I think. Are you familiar with Adam Grant? I've I've heard him on a couple things with Malcolm Gladwell. Um, In any case, the whole program, what they were talking about was how for a generation that 
you know, might be spiritual, but is not necessarily religious. They don't really go to church anymore. Like they're finding their community at work. And it's almost like they're finding a deeper sense of family that, that they were ever raised with, that they ever had at home, a deeper sense of community than, than, than they ever found at their churches growing up, um, at work and in the workplace. And while that might be a little new and a little strange to people of faith, um, I, I think that it's, it's at least something. And I think that, you know, Francis got a lot of flack when he said this a couple years ago, um, about, you know, praying for young people who, who are struggling to find work. Uh, yeah. People gave him a really hard time for like, why in the world is that a priority? Well, like when you don't have to go to work and your wife and the kids are out of town, you know, like, what do you do? The temptation is just to be alone and to stay alone. You know, the temptation is just to isolate yourself and kind of do nothing. And for me, whenever I kind of come out of one of those modes, it's like, oh, that was that was not good for me. You know, I could have found a much, a much better mm-hmm. way to be alone. And, and I think that, again, I have a tendency to ramble, but I think that like, I, I think there was something to what Francis said about, um, you know, e- even if the modern workplace with having some work to do with other people gives you an opportunity to connect with people, then that's something that we cannot take for granted when so many economies around the world are depressed and, and people are struggling for work and purpose and community. I, I think that ties in to kind of what each of you guys were saying. But. I, I think it was either a priest we were in we were, uh, that brought this up in, uh, the, um, or it was on the Catholic stuff, you should know podcast or both. But when your nature doesn't get on what it needs, it revolts. And any type of, of revolution tends to be violent. And if the longings of the human heart for community, for love, for affirmation, uh, for a security and, you know, existence, if, if it's not being met, you know, over and over and over and over and over again, a person can only take so much until they snap. There is cancer in my bones From the poison I've accepted There is blood on my hands From the work they have neglected And this hole beside my heart This is love rejected These weakened muscles This is my body There are lesions on my skin My face is full of bruises On my back I bear the weight Of years 
cause of these abuses I am desperate for relief But my body, she refuses These broken vessels This is my body Each thorn that cuts my hair is a sick and twisted violence Each nail that holds me here Is a shepherd sworn to silence Eternal love made flesh How could any man defile this Beautiful body This is my body Sweat, it hits the eyes They are blinded by the stinging When the air leaves the lungs That's when they keep from singing Of salvation from this darkness Of the life that I am bringing With this dying body This is my body Forsaken marks this human epidermis As the lacerations show What grows beneath the surface A leprosy concealed What person could deserve this Suffering body This is my body I know it's hard to see a God Within this filthy corpus Stained by sins of men Called to lay their lives before us Their skulls, they line this road Haunted by an ancient chorus This is my body This is my body All this pain that I've embraced It's a vicious repetition At the hands of men who long For power and position Within the body This is my body And this corruption is the kind no righteous mind can fathom I give my grace and peace to you If only you will have them New fruit from a new tree To untie the knots of Adam 
that choke this body this is my body this temple for the poor has been wrecked by thieves and vandals all the scars and stripes reveal the depth of human scandals before the dying of the light May my last breath be a candle to start a fire within the bar.